Iron Man camp out this Friday night at my house. That's for, uh, you know, what is Iron Man camp out? It's 24 hours of being with your brothers outside. Stereotypical man stuff. There will be firearms. <laughs> we are not a militia. No, no, no. There will also be great spiritual food. It'll be on my property down in the lower pasture next to the creek. Eight things you should know. This is open to all guys, high school age on up. It's open Friday afternoon at 4 o'clock, but you can come anytime after that for those of you guys who have real jobs. Friday food, Friday night food is tent gating. You got that? You bring it. You share it. There will be a grill. Um, you don't have to stay overnight. If you want to come out Friday night, come back Saturday morning or not, or show up Saturday morning, you can. You don't have to stay overnight. I'm only doing it because I have to. <laughs> I would rather climb up the hill and climb into my own bed, but I would never hear the end of that if I did that. Um, we do need to know how many of you guys are going to be there so that we can have food ready for you on Saturday. You can sign up in the lobby today. And uh, if you didn't sign up online, which you can still do, we actually have some cards for those of you who would uh, rather do it that way. There's a little table out there you can sign up. There will be a community tent for those of you who do not own your own tent. I hope there will be two. Snorers. Non-snorers. Feel free to bring your stuff to fish the creek. I'm serious. I caught one of the biggest smallmouths I've ever caught in the creek in my backyard, so bring it. Here's some good news. Pastor Denny Tatman from the Madison County Vineyard is going to come and speak. That'll be really great. And um, also the last thing I should tell you about the Ironman Campout is that thanks to the faithful efforts of three guys, we have a brand new facility to dedicate. It's not very big, but it's a very important facility. All right, we never had one of those before. That solves a problem, doesn't it? Some of you guys, well, maybe I will come. <laughs> Got one of those. Here we are in the Through the Bible series. We've been walking through the Bible and looking at it kind of from high up and stopping at each book and asking God to show us something. And we're all the way up to the book of Jeremiah, stop number 21. I'm going to do the same thing that I've done every week in this series. And uh, I'm going to start by talking about the context of the book of Jeremiah. It is so important to take some time to understand the context of a passage of Scripture if you want to understand what the Lord is actually saying. Raise your hand if you've ever been taken out of context. And how did you like that, right? Imagine how the Holy Spirit must feel when we take what he inspired out of context. The context of the book of Jeremiah was that it was written by the prophet Jeremiah. That's why we call it that. And uh, his name in Hebrew means that God exalts. God exalts. Anytime you see something like an A-H or something like that in a name such as Elijah or something like that, uh, then you know that Yahweh is part of the name. And so, in this case, Jeremiah, 
is God exalts. He's also known as the weeping prophet. Maybe you've heard that because he was heartbroken over the condition of Israel and Judah. He wrote not only Jeremiah, but he wrote the next book, Lamentations, which you can see why he's called the weeping prophet, if it has lament at its core. And he possibly wrote First and Second Kings. There's some, some reasonable debate about that. Uh, Jeremiah is the second of the major prophets. And remember I talked last week, there are major prophets and then minor prophets, not because of their importance, but largely because of their, the volume of their material. So when you look at Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, they are the major prophets. He prophesied during a revival period uh, of King Josiah. King Josiah came to the throne of Judah as a young king, and uh, he, brought, he brought the Lord and the word of the Lord back into the life of the people. And his father and his grandfather before him, who were the kings, were were terrible kings, and they really, they really just not only ignored the things of God, but they led people off of the path into a path of very serious idolatry. Josiah came, and he turned that around. And Jeremiah, he brought a prophetic explanation to that. He said, this is what's happening. And he warned in the midst of it that if they didn't heed Josiah's reforms, that, it, that disaster was coming. He warned of an, an impending disaster coming down on the people of God. His warnings, however, went largely unheeded, and uh, Judah returned to idolatry shortly after Josiah died. And so this is, the, this is the situation. I think also in context, if you want to understand the words of the book of Jeremiah, it's very much worth noting that Jeremiah paid a very big price for being faithful to the call of God on his life. If you read through that Jeremiah not only has the prophetic words, but an historical account of his life. And if you see some of the things that happened to him, he was attacked by his own brothers. That's not good. He was beaten, and he was put into stocks by a priest and a false prophet. He was thrown into a cistern. Do you know what a cistern is? Cistern is an underground cavity for keeping water. And they would also fill up with dirt as the rainwater would come in. And he was thrown into this cistern, which did not have water so much in it, but mud in the bottom. And he was thrown into there so, so as to be executed, but so that the people who executed could say, Oh, I don't know. Uh, we didn't execute him. He just died of starvation in the cistern. Their plan was foiled because God had a bigger plan for Jeremiah's life. He was imprisoned by the king. He was threatened with death. And then, interestingly enough, as he's prophesying through his whole time um, and paying this big price and and warning the people of the impending doom doom, uh, coming from Babylon, then when King Nebuchadnezzar comes and conquers Jerusalem... He actually releases Jeremiah, who was warning them about them, really, and, and, and orders that this man be treated well. So he was despised and rejected by his own countrymen. But when the foreigners, the people from the north, as he cried out, came and conquered Jerusalem, that those people recognized the righteousness of this man, though his own people couldn't see it. 
and he ordered that he be treated well. So this is the context of the book of Jeremiah. So as you're reading the words of it, you want to come from that perspective. The main, the main points of the book of Jeremiah uh, is, first of all, that the covenant is threatened. The covenant is threatened. We've talked about this covenant before, haven't we? This irrevocable relationship between God and his people, built on a covenant made first with Abraham, you know, uh, codified by Moses along the way, um, then Josiah was trying to bring back the being faithful to the covenant. This was the nature of the relationship between God and the people Israel. Was it was a covenant-based relationship. Now, a covenant is hard for us to get our minds around because we really don't function well in a covenant sense in our society. Because by, by comparison, we, we function in a contract sense. And so everything in our society is built on contract, that we have an agreement, and in this agreement of contract, there is always, there is typically, I should say, an escape clause. Here's how you can get out of this contract. Well, by comparison, a covenant doesn't have any way of escape. It is, an irrevo- is, ir- it is irreversible once made. And this is, the, this is the, the teaching of what a marriage is meant to be in the Bible. That the Bible says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become what? One flesh. So this isn't a contract, which is how we do marriage uh, you know, socially in our, in our society so that a contract can be broken. But this is a covenant. This is a covenant relationship between a man and a woman when they actually become one before God. That's a big difference. That's, that's, a strong, that's a strong relationship. And it's true that even in a covenant, though it's so durable and abiding, that still one member of the party or the other can become unfaithful to the terms of the covenant. Yes? For example, adultery is a violation of of the covenant. And so the thing that happens is that this actually brings a a fierce threat to the covenant. And so by comparison, this is what was happening in Israel and, and Judah at this time, was that they had the covenant, but they were acting completely unfaithfully to the covenant. And so it was in this kind of... Uh, Jeopardy. It was in, in this kind of uh, a strained relationship. So that so many of the words of the prophets were what? Come back. Come back to God. Come back to God. Return to me. Because of what? The covenant. The power of the covenant relationship. That God's heart of love for the people of Israel had not changed. It was just broken. And this covenant is threatened throughout the book of Jeremiah because of Israel, because of Judah's disobedience. The second, the priesthood of the Jewish people had been compromised. The priesthood. So I think you're aware that principally through Moses and Aaron uh, that a priesthood came. 
And a priesthood in this first covenant, because we live in the new covenant. I'll get to that in just a second. But we, in the old covenant, which is another way of saying the Old Testament, in the old covenant, the first covenant, you had God, you had the people of God, and in between them was a priesthood. Were men who were specifically chosen, called, set apart to be priests. And they stood between the people and God. And what they did in terms of the sacrifices, in terms of the temple responsibilities, in terms of what it is they did, was that they, they functioned as a mediator between God and man. Now, therefore, when the priesthood is strong, the relationship with God and His people is strong. When the priesthood is unfaithful, when the priesthood is unfaithful and, be, and the priesthood becomes weak, then the relationship between God and man is weak, exactly. And so there was a compromise in the priesthood. The priests were not being faithful to God. The priests were not functioning from a heart of, of, of a priestly nature. Now, I have particularly good news for you, beloved, that Jesus Christ is the priest. That the Bible says there is one mediator between man and God, and that is the man Jesus Christ. That the Bible says that Jesus Christ is a priest, it says in Hebrews, in the order of Melchizedek. That's a big explanation. But Melchizedek was a priest before Moses was on the scene, so it has nothing to do with that priesthood. Jesus said, I have not come to cancel the law and the priesthood, but I have come to what? Fulfill it. So Jesus Christ is our priest. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Bible says that He sits at the right hand of the Father now, interceding for our sins, is the only priest we need. You do not need a priest. Do not allow a man, do not allow a woman to stand between you and God. The well-being of the people of God in the Old Testament, was always directly proportional to the health of the priesthood. Now, let me tell you something, beloved. We have a very healthy priesthood. Because His name is Jesus Christ. We have a perfect priest. So we have the opportunity for a very healthy and strong relationship with God because of it. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. He said, whoever comes after me will do what I've been doing. He'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. That as Jesus functions in the fulfillment of that priesthood, that he gives us perfect opportunity for a fully spirit-led, spirit-empowered, miracle-working life because he is our priest. Whenever a person as a Christian enters into a Christian system where by design there is a priest between them and God. They define the, the limits of their relationship with God by the health of the priest. That makes sense, doesn't it? Whenever a person surrenders into a system like that, that said, it's not enough for Jesus to be my priest, but I need some special people to be my priest. 
And when we look at some of those systems and we see some of the things that happen, sadly, within the priesthood, it is no wonder that the people who are surrendered to that are limited in the life that they can live with God. Does that make sense? Okay. Take it one step farther. Not just in an organized way. But some of you, because you love me, because I'm so amazing, Some of you have been tempted to allow me to be a priest. Do not ever do that. If you could see the inside, you wouldn't. Because I'm just like you. I am your brother, I am your pastor. That's different than a priest. A pastor does not stand between the people and God. A pastor keeps circling the flock and running the wolves off. That's my job. I've told you before that I'm much less a shepherd and much more a sheepdog. And I just run around you. I make circles around you. Physically, I make circles around you on this wall. And I bark, and I growl, and I fight. That's nobody who stands between you and God. That's just somebody who's giving their life to create a place for you to have a direct relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're doing here. The third part of the main point of the book of Jeremiah is that Babylon is coming. Babylon's coming. And Babylon came. And Babylon conquered. And Babylon carried people off into captivity. And God fulfilled an amazing purpose in that time of captivity. Hot spot for today. This is the place where we just center in and say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to us? Turn to Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. I so remember reading this as a new believer, as a young adult, and going, yeah. I just love Jeremiah's response to God. I'm like, yeah, I get that. The word of the Lord came to me, being Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. He's just young. Just a young guy. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. I wonder how many times he went back to that and thought about that. Every time he was opposed so brutally. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. There you go. This conversation between Jeremiah and God, where God is calling him. It's the call of God in Jeremiah's life, and there's so much more for us here. I'm going to do this a little differently than I have in the past because there are four things I think I just got to give you. And first of all, 
this passage underscores the reality again that life begins before conception. What? Life begins before conception. Well, look at verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Seems to be a lot of debate in society today when life begins. Does life begin at conception? It seems to, seems to begin before that, if I'm reading this Bible, right? Before I formed you in the womb, before, before, say before, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, before, what? God can know somebody before they're formed? That's an amazing mind blower. Now don't overthink that, just accept it. If you overthink it, you can get into big trouble fast. I'm pretty sure if my educational memory serves me properly, it was Origen who was drummed out of the core as a heretic, as an early church father, partly because of his over-analysis of the pre-existence of souls. I just say that once again to show you that I went to school. <laughs> you don't care, I realize. And that I was paying attention. <laughs> don't overthink it. It's part of the mystery, isn't it? We talked about the mystery last week. It's part of the mystery. Mysteries can't be solved by definition. It's part of the mystery that somehow God can know somebody before they're born. But it's what it says. But it, it underscores the thing that we already know, and that is that life does not begin at the delivery of a baby but life begins before that. In Psalm 139, the Bible says, You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. As though God had intention in the actual making of you. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Ow! When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. What? Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God's pretty big, isn't he? He made us. Abortion is deliberately ending a life that has already begun. It's that clear. I categorically stand opposed to abortion. And I categorically open my arms and my heart and my love to anybody who has had an abortion. I don't judge you. God made us. The Bible says God made us. And there are certain aspects of our lives over which we have no control. Who are our parents? Don't raise your hand, but who here would have picked the parents you got? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to see who doesn't. <laughs> we didn't get to choose our parents, did we? Somehow chosen for us. 
We had no control over that. I was especially fond of my dad's brother, Uncle Andy, and he took a great interest in me. And we had fun. And he was a cop. He was a New York State trooper and let me ride in his car when I was 10 and all this cool stuff. And I just thought he was the coolest person ever. I used to kid my dad and say, I, I'm really Uncle Andy's illegitimate child, hon. They were so young because he's only like 12 years older than me. <laughs> Doesn't even make sense, I know. I used to kid him. I said, he, he gave me to you, didn't he? Because he is too young. My dad hated that. <laughs> Trouble is, those of you who know, is you put my dad and me next to each other and there's no doubt <laughs> that I am my father's son. You don't get to pick who your parents are. These things are outside of our control. God made us. We don't get to pick our chromosomal structure. We can't decide that. We can't decide how tall we're going to get. We can't decide... Obvious, sorry, sorry. We can't decide these things. This is genetics. We were not available for input at the time that we were made. And we come with a certain chromosomal structure, yes or no? There is an element of our chromosomal structure over which we have no control. And it is called our sex determination. We either have two X's or an X and a Y. Done. Boom. We are either male or we're female. Boom. You don't even have to get a DNA test to figure out which one you are. <laughs> it's the way we come. It's something over which we have absolutely no control. It is a decision of God. Now, saying it that way does not solve all the problems of our society, does it? We live in a complicated age. But I think the purpose of the church, in part, is to simplify the complicated. And it is simply true that we were knit together by God and he decided whether we were going to be XX or XY. Done. Our current social drama is a further demonstration of something and that is our defiance toward God. Well, I know that's how you made me. I don't accept that. I'm confused about it. I'm not willing to work it out. It's not how I feel about myself. And it's a further defiance toward God. It's how he made us. I realize saying it that way, again, doesn't solve all the problems. And my arms are wide open to anyone, no matter where they are on that spectrum. But it doesn't change the clarity of the position. As Christians, we live our lives by certain non-negotiable standards. Church, we can't give them up. We can't give those standards up. 
And we can express them and convey them and live from them in love. In love and not judgment. But we have to live by them. That's tricky, isn't it? It's tricky. That's why you need the Holy Spirit and the Word of God living inside of you. So that you'll know how to open your arms fully to someone who absolutely disagrees with everything I just said. Life begins. God made us. Second is that God has a plan for your life. Verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God had a plan for Jeremiah's life. And it is true that, you know, in the context of the Old Testament, there were specific choices made. There were the patriarchs, there were the prophets, there were the kings. God apparently did not, well, you would not say had a plan for everyone's individual life. In the Old Testament, in the first covenant, then God had plans for individuals who lived in certain strategic ways, and therefore he fulfilled his plan among his people. But part of what's been fulfilled on the cross of Jesus Christ is that the temple, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. Hebrews chapter 10 says, all come in, let's go. It says, come on, let us draw near to God with a full heart and sincere assurance of faith. So it calls us all in. And Ephesians 2.10 says this back to us. It says, You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for you to do. So God has a plan. One of the things that is developed, changed, is that it's not just this person, that person, and that everybody else lives vicariously through them, but it's you. God has a plan for you. He has a plan for your life. The Bible says that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And so God has a plan for your life. God has a call on your life. Not everybody gets to be a professional Christian like me. No, but everybody gets to get paid for doing this. You guys are just good for nothing. But the call of God on your life is no less critical than the call of God on my life. I think the third thing you want to notice from this in the hot spot is that you'll never win an argument with God. So God says, this is Jeremiah verse 6, Sovereign Lord, I, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a child. So he begins to argue. Does this remind you of anybody? Who's it remind you of? I mean in the Bible. Anybody? Moses, exactly. He tried this, didn't he? He tried this. What did God say to Moses? No worries. I got somebody to do that part for you. So what does he say? But the Lord said to me, don't say I'm only a child. I, I know how old you are, Jerry. I know how old you are, he says, right? I know how old you are. He said, you must go to everyone I send you to. Say whatever I command you. You, got, you just have to do it. You must. Don't be afraid of them, for I'm with you. I'll rescue you. He loses the argument, but he tries to return to it in chapter 20 of Jeremiah. Remember I said things, things were tough for Jeremiah. 
as he served the Lord with his life. Tough things happened. People were not listening to him. And so he, he returns to the argument with God in Jeremiah chapter 20. And he says, O oh Lord, you deceived me. <laughs> and I was deceived. God always is good at what he does. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak out, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. So he returns to the argument. I can't do this. It's not working. But look, look at what happens next. But if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot, and indeed he did not. You'll never win an argument with God. And then the fourth part of this hot spot in Jeremiah chapter 1 is that God always pays for what he orders. So he calls him to do this. Jeremiah says, I can't. God says, oh, not only can you, you will. And then verse 9, Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now, I put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. I'll give you what you need. I'll put the words in your mouth. Remember when the people of Israel were wandering around in the desert and they had no food? What did God feed them? God always pays for what he orders. He said, quickly leave Egypt. Don't worry about your food. Let's go. Anybody get to Matthew chapter 6 yet? When Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'll give you everything you need. God always, always, always pays for what he orders. There are sometimes that we resist the call of God on our life because we can't figure out how to make the numbers work or the circumstances work, yeah? And we say, well, I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait till those gears fall into place. And I think that while there may be some time that that's actually what God is saying to us, I think there's also a high probability that we use that as an excuse for following God in a risk, into a risky situation. Yes? And just know that when you, when you put yourself out on a limb, God will always show up with the fruit. He'll be there. He'll be there. So God has a call on your life. That's what Jeremiah teaches us today. God has a call on your life. Everybody. If you know Christ as your Savior, no matter how young or old you are, God has a call on your life. And there are two kinds of people in the room those of you who have a sense of God's call on your life, those of you who do not have a sense of God's call on your life. But what I find terribly interesting is that the required response from each is the same, and that's surrender. Just surrender to God. Just surrender. If you know what it is, then surrender. Give up. Stop the argument. Give up. If you don't know what it is, but are stirred in your spirit to say, I want to know what it is, it begins with surrender. And say, I surrender to your plan for my life, Lord. I'm open. Okay, you're the wide receiver and you're out there all by yourself and you're like, I'm open. 
and just surrender yourself to the plan of God, and then he'll begin to reveal it bit by bit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jeremiah and his life. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit in this place. Thank you, Father, for every person who's here for whatever, whatever thing has brought them. Lord, whatever path has led them into this room, thank you for it. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth are pleasing, Lord, and that they're seasoned with grace. I pray, God, that, that your Holy Spirit will, will use the things that have been shared here as in song and in the Word to stimulate us, Lord, to a greater level of surrender to you. I thank you for these precious ones, Lord, who have been here a long time and they've lived day after day of surrender to you and your plan for their lives. Thank you for those newer ones, Lord, who are really just trying to sort that out, understand it. Pray, Lord, as we um, just respond to you in ministry that your Holy Spirit would be free to be here to empower the church to be the church, that you'd release the gifts of the Spirit among us as we as we minister to one another and as we respond to your name. So we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, why don't we stand together and worship the Lord? And could we have some prayer ministry people? Come on up. Take your places along the sides. And these men and women have been trained, uh, part of our prayer team, to pray with you and for you. And you can just come up to them and They'll be happy to pray with you for anything at all, okay? And as always, here at the Vineyard, you're free to move about as the Holy Spirit may stir you to do so.